0: Today's reading is from Exodus 34, verses 1 to 9, so why don't you read along with me? The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone, like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain." No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all of the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped, and he said, If now I have found favour in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So far the reading.
1: Well, good morning, and um, again, welcome to worship this morning. Thanks, John, for the Bible reading. And um, yeah, as as Joel mentioned earlier in the worship, thanks, Phil, for this background, the new background. Um, Anyone that knows me knows that I have not much to do with this, um, but I'm really impressed with um, Phil and the guys that uh, do this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, enjoy it for the next few weeks at least. Today we're beginning uh, a new small series and we talked about it last week and I think John mentioned it in worship, uh, God is. And um, we want to look at uh, who he is and how he describes himself. And um, we saw that in the reading that John read for us and I just want to read with you again, if you've got your Bibles or and it'll be on the screen, I want to read with you again just a couple of verses in there because this is where we're going to focus for the next few weeks where um, God says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. This is how God describes himself to Moses, answers the question that we'll see soon that Moses asks. This is where God reveals who he is, his nature and his character and, um, to Moses and to the people of Israel. And these words, um, these words become famous. They're going to go on to be quoted more than 20 times throughout the Bible, throughout the word you'll find them, through the Old and, and even the New Testament, albeit in the New Testament not really verbatim all the time. Jonah quotes them uh, when Jonah uh, complains to God because God rescues Nineveh. And he says to God, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. Jonah quotes those words. The prophet Joel uh, quotes them to Israel when he calls God's people to repentance. In numerous Psalms, we see these words quoted um, as well as some New Testament references as well. Um, there is a lot here and we will take about five weeks to, to take us through them and just to have a bit of a look each time at God's character and at one of the characteristics. Um, but by way of introduction this morning, I want us to um, look at a little bit of context. I want to create a bit of context here in Exodus um, when God initially first um, defines himself. Um, God has rescued Israel out of um, Egypt not without issues. We know that um, there was grumbling. There was complaining. We know that they complained about the food. They, when they got food, then they complained that they didn't have meat. They complained about water. At one point, they wanted to go back to Egypt, and they decided to elect other leaders. So God has rescued Israel um, out of Egypt, uh, and there's been quite a lot that's gone on there. And in Exodus 19 and 20, a little bit earlier on, he decides to establish a covenant with Israel, with his people. A set of guidelines, if you like, for life as God's people. Um, The Ten Commandments. And number one and two of the commandments are really important here. Number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And number two is have no image, have no idols, no image. No, don't replace me with anything. And the the Israelites respond back there with this overwhelming yes. That's what we're going to do. Yep, we're going to make this covenant. We make this covenant with you, God. And Moses is brokering that. Yet while the words are still on their lips, as Moses is up on the mountain, uh, taking the tablets up, the first set of tablets, what do they do? The golden calf. We all know the story, don't we? So they've made this covenant, and they'll make no image, and they'll love God, and, and those words are not even, they're still fresh. And as Moses goes up to now establish, to now get that written down, and, and God's going to write those, those, uh, that covenant down on tablets, the golden calf happens. Moses is furious, but more so than that, God is furious. And God almost says to Moses, step aside. It's as if he says, step aside, Moses, while I let my fury do my thing. I'll obliterate them. And then you and I, I'll take you and we'll make a nation. But Moses pleads with God for mercy. He says things like, what would the surrounding nations say if they see that you've led these people out of Egypt only to to kill them out here in, in the desert? They blame you, God, and, and, and I can't stand that. I, I want you to be honoured among the nations. Well, we know what happens. Moses, in his anger, comes down. He smashes those tablets, um, and he, he gets the calf, that golden calf, and it gets ground to powder, to a powder, and the people are made to drink water mixed with that, that powder of that calf. And there's a bit of a funny thing in there that I always find funny. There's there's Aaron. There's that interlude with Aaron that Moses has with Aaron. And and it's kind of like Moses says, Aaron, what what were you thinking? What's happening? And Aaron has this lame excuse, which we know he says, well, he says the people just bought all this gold and I I threw it in all the pot and hey, look what came out, this calf. Reminds me of the stories of a, a child with chocolate around its face and the mother saying, did you eat the chocolate? No, I didn't eat the chocolate. You know, how did the chocolate get there? It's quite funny. Um, it was actually the people's rebellion, wasn't it? Many people who were sin- who sinned were killed. There was quite a, a reckoning for sin then. And Moses tells the people, you have all sinned. Grievously. And so tomorrow I will go to the Lord and plead on our case with God. I will plead on our behalf with God. God meets him uh, at the tent of meeting in a cloud. And... Um, and God does relent. Uh, Moses pleads with him, and God does relent. And then God says to to Moses, "Okay, I want you to take these people and head out." And you, and He says this, "Lead these people." Now Moses is also a little tired of all this, and um, perhaps a little fearful of leading these people. Now, um, how's this going to work? And we see that if we have a look in Exodus thirty-three. He has this interaction with God. Uh, when he's with God, he says this. He says, Moses said to the Lord, and this is Exodus 33, verse 12 Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know who you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. It's kind of like, you want me to lead, but who are you, are you that's going to come with me? These are your people, they're not my people. This is your idea, not mine. It's kind of like this interlude with, with Moses. And it can, might have come out of fear or, or worry. And you say to the and you say, lead them, but who will go with me? Essentially Moses is saying, Who are you? Who are you going to reveal yourself to be? What, and he goes on to say, what will set us apart from other nations? With you, your presence, capital P in there, what's going to set who are they going to see? Who are you, God? And after that, we have that lovely moment where where Moses says, show me your glory, God. And God hides him in the rock and his glory passes him by. Then God says, I want you now to take another two tablets, create come out of stone another two tablets. This is now tablets 2.0. And come up to the mountain, and I'm going to write the covenant on them again. We're going to do this again. Moses did that, and as he met him on the mountain, before he even begins, God now answers Moses' question in, the, in, the, in Exodus 33. Who are you, God? Who is it that goes with us? And that's where we end up. God is now going to tell Moses, and through Moses, he's going to tell his people, this is who I am. This is who goes with you. This is what other nations will see. This is who leads my people. And those verses, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. a a Compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love for thousands, etc. Verses 6 and 7. And these words are going to become really important. They'll attest to who God really is, and it'll tell us what His character really is. And it's also going to set the scene for how God is going to lead His people through the whole story of the Bible. Because as we know that looking back, and as we look at the word, there will be rebellion. There will be stubbornness. There will be sin. There'll be rejection of God. There'll be violence towards each other. There'll be complete schisms of nations. Nations and tribes will will end up breaking apart and so much more. But in the midst of all this and right into today, as you're watching this and right into our day, God will be known. He will be seen by the nations. And these are... His leading characteristics. These are the His defining nature, if you like. That's why it's a worthy exercise for us to spend a few weeks to have a look at them. So for today, and you'll see the word in black there, today we want to look at the first one. God is compassionate. We want to focus on God as a compassionate God. Some um, versions or translations will replace compassionate with merciful. Um, and we'll see soon in a definition that that is part of it. So what does it mean? God is compassionate. What does it mean? How does it reveal God to us? Does it show uh, him in a, a greater way to us? Does What does it look like in action? And um, what did it ultimately? We'll see what it ultimately led God to do. And then what it should lead us to do. If we look at a definition of compassion, and I've just jumped online, and and um, the definition I came across is Um, Compassionate, deeply moved, care, pity, merciful, clement, clemency, lenient, good-natured, kind-hearted. They're all wonderful attributes, aren't they? Who doesn't want to have a best friend, a parent, a boss, a leader? Um, Who doesn't want to have that kind of person around them? But in Hebrew, the word that God uses in Hebrew is a really interesting word. The word um, is rachum, and it has really interesting roots. Its roots are in the word rechem, which is related to the womb, a mother's womb. Now we're beginning to get a little bit of a picture of God wanting to express the intimacy uh, of his nature and character. There's a great image of intimacy and connection. The intimacy and connection that a mother has with the child in and of her womb is really deep. And this word in Hebrew comes from that word womb, that deep connection, that deep intimacy. That God would use this word to describe his nature and character tells us something of his heart and tells us something of his passion for his people. Not just Israel, for us too, eh? And considering the context of his words here in Exodus considering what's been happening, considering that he's just dealt with this massive rebellion and this massive disobedience of, of a fresh um, uh, covenant that he made with them, considering that that's the context, it's amazing that he leads with this nature and character first. It's amazing that he leads with such an intimate reflection of his character. The same root word is actually used in the story of Solomon with the two mothers. Do you remember when uh, the two mothers who one baby had died and there was one baby left and there was this dispute about who whose baby it was? And then Solomon said, well, why don't we just cut the baby in two and you can have half each? But we've seen the story in the words, uh, this same root word is used. It says the real mother is deeply moved and her compassion, her deep move, Um, her compassion and her desire to save the child revealed to Solomon who the real mother was. That's a great picture, isn't it? That mother had so much compassion for... um, was deeply moved by a potential risk to the fruit of her womb that she said the other mother can have it. And that's how Solomon knew. There's a strong intent on God's part to help us and, and help His people... To understand how deep and intimate and dependable his compassion is, just like a mother, he wants the Jews to know this he, he tells Moses this because in the midst of the rebellion he wants them to know this. however, just however, despite god 's compassion time and time again god 's people reject him and they place their allegiance as we look forward and we look ahead. They reject him. They place their allegiance in in other nations, in other powers, in other gods. And nor are they much good at showing compassion to one another. They're violent. They're divisive. They're disobedient. And they end up, as we go through the narrative of the word, they end up scattered and exiled among the nations of the earth. Yet God never, ever steps back from his character. God remains true to his character. And one instance of this is, if we look in Isaiah chapter 49, um, there's a point in Isaiah 49 where he's restoring Israel. Israel's been in rebellion and he's, he's judged them quite harshly, but he's restoring them. And he brings this original word, this original word of compassion, but perhaps the original word and the sense of it, he brings it back in. He says in Isaiah 49 verse 15, "...can a mother forget the baby at her breast?" And have no compassion on the child that she's born. Though she may forget, I will never forget you. There is an amazing reminder there to the people as they hear that. They have heard the stories of when God revealed his character to his people in the desert. And when he uses that word compassion as a mother has compassion on her child, the fruit of her womb. I will not forget you. Here he is restoring Israel, a rebellious people. Even, and he says that even a mother, when people are that bad, when a child is that bad, you know, perhaps a human mother might forget. Perhaps there her compassion might fail, but mine won't. I will not forget you. God is a God of compassion. He has a deep desire to and will save his people. But compassion is not just a noun, it's not just a descriptive word, it's not just something that describes God. It's also a verb. In the sense of God's nature and character, it's also a verb, it's an an active word. It doesn't just describe Him, it tells us how He acts. And and if we look through the word, we see how compassion actually plays out, how the nature of God's character and nature of compassion plays out. God is moved with compassion. And acts in compassion. Now text: he acted with compassion to rescue the Jews out of slavery in, in Exodus. He acted with compassion and fed them when they grumbled. He acted with compassion when they cried out in fear as the Egyptians chased them through the Red Sea, and he saved them. And when he should have obliterated them for the sin of the golden calf, he had clemency. That was one of the definitions, right? It's like a judge. When, he, when you're guilty as, and you've definitely done it, the judge decides to have clemency. In the situation of the golden calf, God's compassion was manifest in clemency for His people. So it's no surprise that when God's showing Moses and when He's showing us who He is, He begins with compassion. It describes who He is, how He feels, but it also describes how he acts and what it, will, what it will cause him to do. It reveals to us that God is intimate, he's connected, he cares, and he's also committed to being true to who he is. God is full of compassion, and we see through the journey of the word that he rescues his people from Egypt, from hunger, from bondage, from exile, from nations that seek to destroy them, as we read through the, of David's um, story, from kings that, when we read through Kings and Chronicles, from kings that lead the nations astray. He continues to act out of compassion to save them time and time again, to be clement to them, to forgive them, to restore them. And ultimately, he does it by entering into the suffering of humanity himself. Jesus, God's compassion, become human. God, being deeply moved, compassionate, by the struggle of humanity, displays his compassion magnificently by a great act of mercy, clemency and rescue in sending Jesus. In the form of Jesus. He had and he has indeed not forgotten his people right up to then. And his people would now include more than just the Jews. And and more than just the early church and the Gentiles. It now includes us. You and me. And Jesus himself as God incarnate. When he was on earth he was deeply moved by what he saw in the suffering around him. And driven by compassion, He acted and He rescued us. How good is it to begin our description of God, of understanding His character of nature, how good is it to begin with this beautiful part of God's nature and character, His compassion? You know, we see ourselves... We look back at the Israelites and we see them as rebellious and we tell stories of them and we we think inside, and maybe we don't say that, we think inside our head, how ridiculous, how how could they be so rebellious to such a loving God? We only need to look at the world around us to know that humanity hasn't changed much. Thank God that God hasn't changed, that he leads with this nature. God's compassion is good news for us. We're people who need to hear that, that we're not forgotten. That God is deeply moved with affection for us. His compassion is a rescuing compassion for us. It's a saving compassion for us as well. He considers us his own, just like a mother uh, considers the, the, the fruit of her womb, her child, her own. And more than that, God's compassion is active in our lives, isn't it? It reaches out to draw us in to a safe and intimate and loving relationship with Him. When we fail, and we do, we can have confidence in His compassionate clemency. Do you know that? Do you experience that? When, when we fail, when you, when you fail, When you know, like the Israelites who, who sin and perhaps it's not as obvious as a golden calf. Do you know that we have that same God of compassion in our life? That you can have confidence in His clemency? Do you know that the Father has compassion for you? Not because of anything that you did, not that you've deserved it. If nothing else, this account in Exodus shows us that straight away that His compassion is totally not dependent on anything that His people can do or did do. God leads with this description of His nature in order to tell us this, I don't just have compassion, I am compassion. God just doesn't have compassion. He is compassion. It's who he is. You know, in Exodus, the Israelites hadn't done anything to prompt God to be compassionate, had they? It's not like God and Moses looked down and said, Oh, look at those people. They tried real hard to do the right thing. Not at all. And that's why God leads with this. He says, Moses and my people, I am compassionate. I am compassionate. It's who I am, despite your acts. This is so important for you and I to know and grasp. God's compassion for me and for you is not based on anything that we've done, it's all Him, it's all undeserved. the Israelites, that was totally undeserved. We see that time and time again in the word, don't we? The Israelites in the desert. Compassion? Totally undeserved. Uh, Nineveh, the story I talked about before, in Jonah. Nineveh was known as an absolute wicked city. The the, the worst city on earth. The aberrations and things that they did. The way that they rejected and reviled God was, was amazing. And yet God, in His compassion... As Jonah says, I knew that you were compassionate. Totally undeserved, he rescues them. Jesus, in the parable of the prodigal son, uses the same word. Now it's in Greek in, in, um, in in this account. But he uses that same word that God uses about himself to describe the father in the story of the prodigal son. Totally undeserved. It goes like this. When he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, what does it say? Compassion. That's that same word, that nature and character of God. And we know that the younger son totally undeserved compassion and the father greets him with open arms. And it's the father's compassion that invites us, you and me, into the feast with him. Just like the the younger son comes in and there's a feast put on for him and, and the father goes out to the older son, invites him into the feast... It's our Heavenly Father that invites you and I into the feast with Him. It's His compassion that caused Him to send His Son Jesus to make a way for us to be able to even be at the feast. How very important is it to know that God is compassionate. How important it is for me to know that. How important it is for you to know that. You know, what might it look like if we truly un- understood, if we truly believed, if we truly embraced that, that God is a compassionate Father for us. Often we can be really hard on ourselves, can't we? Believing that we've blown it. And I've spoken to people that have actually said that to me. And, and, and sometimes in our minds we believe that, that we've, you know, we've blown it. There's surely no compassion left for us. And we feel ourselves less worthy or, or perhaps unseen by God. Well, today, in this message, in this revelation of God's character, you and I are reminded that that's not true. He does not forget. He does not give up. He doesn't turn away from us. He is compassionate. It's his nature. And the word says that God doesn't change. When we need to know, like Moses, who God is, he begins by telling us he's compassionate. And look what it led him to do for us. But God's compassion asks for a response as well, doesn't it? Um, An echo, if you like. When we've experienced this compassion, when we've seen his heart for us, we want to cease our rebellion. We want to um, stop rebelling against God. And we want to not keep trying to get out from under his control. We want to repent and we want to love him back. We want to, we want to echo that compassion back to the Father. We, we recognise that, that we totally don't deserve it. What were we thinking rebelling against God? Charles Spurgeon said this in a sermon on God's compassion. He said, When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good... So overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. What a wonderful picture of an echo when you understand the compassion that God has for you. That leads you to worship. That leads you to surrender. That leads you to submission. That leads you to giving up your life and your control and giving it to him. And we want to have that love and that that compassion. We want to echo that. We want to have that. As we echo that to God, we also want to have that for people around us, don't we? For others, just like God does. And as recipients ourselves of God's compassion, we're actually called to imitate Jesus. We're actually called to allow ourselves to be deeply moved as Jesus was by the pain in the world. And to participate in relieving that suffering. God's compassion doesn't just just save us and give us warm fuzzies. It drives us to echo that compassion and and be deeply moved as he was for a broken world. We're called to be agents of that same compassion. Jesus said in Luke 6, in verse 36, he said, um, Jesus was talking to uh, the listeners and and the the multitudes, he said, Be merciful. As your father is merciful. Be compassionate just like your father is compassionate. God has told us who he is. He showed us through Jesus what that looks like and what it made him do. He showed us through Jesus what compassion looks like. And he calls us now to be like him. And Paul in Colossians, in Colossians 3, verse 12. To 14, he, he speaks to the Colossian church and he speaks to them as God's people. And through these words, he speaks to us as God's people. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, get dressed in, be, be identified with, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And he goes on, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And the text will be up there. God reveals himself as compassionate, as compassionate. He then reveals himself, uh, he reveals what that drives him to do through Jesus and his enormous compassion to save us. And he calls us to imitate him, clothe ourselves with that same compassion and love for our fellow man. God has shown us who he is, so we can show the world who he is. So likewise, what might it look like if we truly understood, believed and embraced that? That our role as ambassadors of compassion to the world is what we're called to. What would it look like if the world saw us, the church, saw us, his followers, as people who were defined by That compassion, defined by mercy, defined by sacrifice, defined by clemency and forgiveness and bearing with one another. Jesus was moved by suffering, deeply moved, it says, and he was driven towards those who were suffering. What if we ask God to move our hearts by the brokenness that we see and we also ask him to send us? to move us towards those that suffer. As God describes who he is in this this section of Scripture in Exodus, he leaves with one of the most powerful attributes. On the one hand, it's intimate, it's secure, it's touching, it's deeply moved, the, the womb and all that imagery comes with it. That's the emotive side. And on the other side, it's a powerful word of action. It changes destinies. It exhibits mercy and clemency and rescue, and that's the active component. Compassion, the power to reach the distant, broken and lost heart and forgive and to change and save the hardest and most deserving heart. That's our God. That's why he wants us to know that he's filled with compassion. What an example we have then to follow in God's revealed character of compassion. Now, I can't think of a better segue for us to lead into Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate Lord's Supper this morning. And after that, after understanding and seeing God's compassion and what it led him to do, how could we not see the significance of celebrating that? How could we not understand how important it is for us to to remember and believe and and to recognise that this, What we remember and believe, what Jesus called us to remember and believe, is because of Jesus' compassion, because of God's compassion. It's a reflection, it's a a manifestation of His compassion for us. A compassion that's expressed to us and for us by a sacrifice that was greater than any that we would be called to make. That reaches lost hearts and changes our hard and undeserving hearts. I can't imagine the patience it would have taken for God time and time again with Israel and through the history of the Bible with his people. I can't imagine that kind of compassion. And yet that's what he did. In fact, it led him to send his son Jesus to die for us. What Jesus did for us was the ultimate embodiment of God's compassion. It shows us who he is. And, you know, the interesting thing is in Exodus, when he says to to Moses, when he starts to describe himself, he says, The Lord, the Lord, he says it twice, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate. A celebration to remember and believe. So as we celebrate Lord's Supper this morning, I'm going to do that right now. I hope you have the elements ready. As we celebrate that... I want us to remember that. I want us to remember that we remember and believe and we celebrate salvation as an an expression of that compassion that God told Moses about. That nature and character of God that is compassionate. And that it reached all the way from Exodus, all the way from God, first expressing that right through the word, through the ages, to you and to me in our lives. And salvation is ours because he's a compassionate God.